there's a city that looks o'er the valley of death, and its glory has never been told. Where the Lamb is the light in the midst of the night, in that beautiful city of gold. Where the sun, where the sun never, sets, never sets, and the leaves never fade, and the righteous forever will shine like the stars in that beautiful city of gold. There will be no more sorrow, pain, sickness, or death, and the saints, they will never grow old. How I long for that city where there never comes a night in that beautiful city of gold. Where the sun, where the sun never, sets, never sets and the leaves, and the leaves never fade. And the righteous forever will shine like the stars in that beautiful city of gold. Where the sun, where the sun never, sets, never sets, and the leaves never fade. And the righteous forever will shine like the stars in that beautiful city of gold. In that beautiful astray from the heavenly way. I was wretched and vile as could be, but my Savior in love gave me peace from above when he reached down his hand for me. I was near despair when he came to me there and he showed me that I could be free then he lifted my feet gave me glory complete when he reached down his hand for me when the Savior reached down for does rejoice when I hear his sweet voice. In the tempest to him I can cling. There to lean on his arm, safe to cure from all harm. When he reached down his hand for me. When the Savior reached down for me. I think it was Friday, I was running around here in the auditorium and kind of, next thing I know, I heard this noise coming from the back and it was uh, Brother Josh, he was over there playing and singing and that song and so I've had that song in my head for two days now, I keep singing that chorus over and over and over and over again and uh, so now I, I remember where I heard it, so there it is, so <clears throat> that's a good song, probably 
you'll still be uh, singing that chorus uh, uh, into the next couple of days too. It just sticks with you, I think. Psalm chapter 144, verse 15. Psalm 144, we're going to just look at one verse and then we're going to take off and see uh, what we can glean from, uh, you know, uh, this morning. Again, it's uh, 4th of July weekend and we're looking forward to the 4th of July on Wednesday and it's always nice to have a uh, uh, national holiday and uh, boy, you get a chance and most people, not all, but a lot of people have an opportunity to maybe take a day off or have a chance to get a break, maybe spend some time with family or friends, but we understand that in the day and age in which we live, a lot of people still have to work on those days, but it is nice if you can take off, and so if you are and op- have that opportunity, enjoy it, and uh, just uh, uh, you know, don't get too sunburned. From what I understand, it's supposed to be pretty hot Wednesday, okay? Today, it's going to be nice and cool on the buses this afternoon, and at least we've got a wonderful, wonderful breeze blowing in, from what I understand. I don't know how cool a breeze can be when it's 95 out, but anyway... Uh, You open the windows, you'll get a breeze. So anyway, Psalm 144, verse 15. Psalm 144, verse 15. You pray for our bus workers today. They're going to be, well, they'll feel like they jumped in a swimming pool, but they'll have just been on the bus. So anyway, happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. I just wanted to kind of kick things off today with that passage. I mean, happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. You know, America was founded a Christian nation. It doesn't matter what our culture, what our society, what uh, the pundits say. The fact is, is that it was, it was born a Christian nation, out of a, founded out of a Christ, as a Christian nation. And although this concept has been under attack, I mean tremendous attack, Tremendous scrutiny. I mean, the truth is is that the handwriting is literally on the walls. It's everywhere in our capital. And one need only spend a day strolling down the mall in Washington, D.C., and you'll recognize that fact. I mean, American history is rooted in biblical history, if you will, to some degree. Biblical and religious quotations, including the Ten Commandments, adorn almost every significant building there in Washington. The words of Lincoln's second inaugural address were carved in granite. They thunder inside the memorial that bears his name, praying this, the mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away, but recalling that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. That's on a monument. It's a direct quote from Psalm chapter 19, verse 9. The Washington Monument also bears out America's Christian heritage. And again, there's been so much talk of trying to remove all of these sayings and they want to do away with them. And who knows really when and how long they'll last on the monuments before someone will ultimately take them off. But I'm sure they've already taken some off and I'm sure there are some that are still stuck away. They're still up in the tops of perches and places that they can't even reach hardly. And the fact is, is that Boy, I tell you what, if you just take a walk through Washington, D.C., you look at the monuments, you'll find God everywhere. That's an amazing thing. Inlaid in the National Archives entrance is a bronze medallion of the Ten Commandments, and on our currency we read, In God We Trust. Isn't that interesting? And you know, the fact is, again, is that our culture, our society, the world we live in, the the nation we live in, was founded, and it was founded by men that believed in a God. And they believed in the Word of God. And and some will obviously uh, address that issue and try to downplay the significance of it in our culture and try to say that they weren't really emphasizing religion, that they weren't trying to promote Jesus Christ. And may I say, that's, that's just not true. And so today, I, I, I believe today, as we look over this, I mean, the, the culture we live in, I mean, attacking, attacking God. Well, we have, you know, these that are not just uh, antagonistic anymore, but they are really just anti-God completely. And yet we are very blessed today to live in a country where we still have freedom to talk very freely about the Lord. We have such tremendous freedoms. And, you know, even though we're being attacked, All the word of God is being attacked and God is being attacked. There's still great hope for America. Have great hope for America. 
And I know that it seems like it's rather dismal. I know that it would seem that we're on the way down, so to speak. But there is still so much, as Brother Kavanaugh had mentioned, so many good things that we still can enjoy and that we can uh, truly uh, participate in in America. And we are so blessed with the freedoms that we have. We've got to take advantage of those. Today, I, I just want to talk to you and I want to preach a message I've entitled, The Hope of Our Nation. Just a real simple message, nothing complicated. The hope of our nation. What is it that's going to make the difference in our country? What's going to make the difference in the world in which we live? And so let's talk about that just a little bit today, all right? The hope of our nation, all right? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for this time together. We don't have much time, Lord, but help me to be able to impress upon all of our hearts the need for you and our country and how important it is that we yield ourselves back to you, continue to give ourselves to the word of God. We thank you again for all that you've done for us. We thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have now, Lord, to just, uh, Father, proclaim your truth here with this freedoms that we possess, not fearing that we'll be taken off or sent out to, to, or put in jail or, or anything like that. Lord, we have freedom to truly speak freely today. So thank you, Lord. Now bless us, and Lord, may you be with someone. If someone's here without Jesus Christ as their Savior, may they settle that today before it's eternally too late. May they truly receive and accept you even today. Well, thank you. We'll praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen. So the hope of our nation, first of all, our nation's heritage. We think about our nation's heritage. You know, not until 1607, about 115 years after Columbus discovered America, did England establish its first permanent settlement in what they called the New World. The settlement was established for political and economic reasons in Jamestown, Virginia. Obviously, uh, you know, when folks came over here, we're going to find that they did. Some came over for religious issues, but there were others that came truly for financial issues. And while Jamestown uh, faded into history, another colony was established far to the north in New England, a colony founded not for political or economic reasons, but primarily religious ones, though. The pilgrims had sought to worship God. We've heard this story over and over again. And they sought to worship him according to their own conscience, to be able to express their faith very visibly and yet safely. The problem was that they were experiencing the oppressive hand of the state religion. And it was relentless. It finally prompted them to risk all and forge out in search of a place, a new land, where they could indeed experience that freedom, where they could enjoy the opportunity to worship their God as they chose and where they would not be fearful of persecution. They arrived in Plymouth in 1620. Ten years later in 1630, another, uh, another, uh, after the pilgrims had proved that the English could settle New England, the Massachusetts Bay Colony was established in Boston. It was established by a group of Puritans They were equally disturbed with the Church of England. They also were tired of being oppressed, not given the opportunity to worship as they saw fit. Sadly, these very groups, though, that did indeed leave England because of religious oppression, found themselves in the very same situation. They themselves became colonies that, well, were no longer operating or allowing religious freedom. They were guilty of denying the very freedoms that they sought themselves. For instance, Puritan law required Baptists to pay taxes to support the congregational church. So if you didn't didn't support the congregational church, then you were persecuted. I mean, literally, those who refused to pay would often have their possessions confiscated and sold at auction, or possibly exiled, or even jailed. There's cases like what's called a lady by the name of Widow Bacchus. She was uh, literally hauled off to prison, taken right out of a sick bed. She was that sick, right in the middle of the night, and they hauled her off to prison. There's illustrations and examples of men like Obadiah Holmes, who was whipped in 1651 for being unwilling to participate in Puritan worship. I mean, these were the people that fled England to, to establish religious freedom, and yet they were imposing these types of requirements. Nonetheless, as time went on, America began to grow. 
And then came the Great Awakening. You may have heard of that. There's been a couple of awakenings in American history, but the Great Awakening in the 19, excuse me, the 1730s and 40s saw thousands of people come to Jesus Christ. Prior to that awakening, boy, America had drifted off into all kinds of sin and evil and wickedness. You know, we often think ours is the worst culture ever, but we know we can go back to the church at Corinth and find one that's probably much worse. But then we also can go back in American history before this great awakening and find a people who had rejected and neglected God as well. But the great awakening did take place. Men like Jonathan Edwards and his famous message, Sinners in the Hands of, the, of an Angry God. It would begin to a revival that would spread across Massachusetts, into Connecticut, and throughout New England. Still America hadn't seen anything yet because George Whitfield was to come on the scene. A very fiery preacher. I mean, he made a big splash on the scene. He started what was called open-air meetings, and he would preach and just stand out there in the wilderness and proclaim the truth, and it would echo off the hillsides and in the valleys. Upwards of 10,000 people would gather to hear him preach on one occasion even. Just at one sitting, 10,000. Can you imagine preaching without the help or the aid of sound systems? And there he was out in the wilderness. Repent! Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You imagine? The impact of his preaching, as well as many others, was very profound. And its influence was clearly seen in the lives and the character of all Americans that lived in the United States at that time. And again, at that point, I guess... We hadn't yet arrived at 1776. So anyway, we see the colonists. And here they are now. And um, we've got all kind of problems. But you know what? God was in this thing, wasn't he? Man, I mean, God was here for us. And God met our needs. And God enabled us to break free from even Britain. In 1999, the Library of Congress published Religion and the Founding of the American Republic. It was a lengthy series in which the author noted, quote, many Americans were disappointed that the Constitution did not contain a Bill of Rights that would explicitly enumerate the rights of American citizens and enable courts and public opinion to protect these rights from an oppressive government. Before all was said and done, a Bill of Rights was added to accomplish this end. And the first freedom provided in the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution makes the statement. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Listen, that's pretty important stuff. Now, I know we've twisted that to mean that the church can have no influence in the society and culture, that religion has no place, that God's not permitted That's not what the founders intended. The founders wanted to keep the government from telling us how we can worship. And it was just here this last week that a tremendous decision was made in the Supreme Court that permits certain groups that are trying to help people no longer commit abortion to try to help aid them and encourage them and assist them in keeping their babies. A a, a monumental case took place and told them that these groups that were self-supported, mind you, did not have to tell the people in written form from the state that there were other options for abortion. Why in the world would we as a church put together, I mean, fund and promote a, a ministry to try to help women keep their babies, and then the state come in and tell us that we have to tell them that they can abort their babies and here's where they can do it and it won't cost them much, if anything, to do it. And that's what the government was trying to impose. And fortunately, the Supreme Court justices five to four said, no, they can't do that. Separation clause. Do you get it? This amendment... It works in our favor. It should at least. Because that's what it was intended to do.
And so that monumental amendment guaranteed that government could not limit or, our, our exercise or expression of religion. So America was founded a Christian nation. The men and women in 1776 established a society as one nation under God. As we said, even the currency itself says, in God we trust. And they've been trying to get that off the currency for some time now. But either way, our heritage and the faith of the founding fathers, even though it's come under fire, has continued to, to still shine. Again, there are those that will try and tell us that the founding fathers were simply deists who believed in an impersonal deity, who rejected the divinity of Jesus Christ and rejected the inspiration of the Bible. But that's not really true. There were some. There was no doubt there were some. It's true that Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson were what many referred to as deists. Although Jefferson called himself a Christian... But the vast majority of the remaining founding fathers were unapologetically born-again believers. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, made this statement. He said, my hopes of a future life are all founded upon the gospel of Christ. That sounds pretty good to me. John Jay, first chief justice of the United States Supreme Court, made this statement. He said, unto him who is the author and giver of all good, I render sincere and humble thanks for his manifold and unmerited blessings, and especially for our redemption and salvation by his beloved son. Blessed be his holy name. This is his last will and testament. Samuel Adams Signer of the Declaration of Independence said, Principally and first of all, I recommend my soul to that almighty being who gave it and my body I commit to the dust, relying upon the merits of Jesus Christ for a pardon of all my sins. Those were his last will and testament. Samuel Adams. Our nation prospered under the leadership of such men. Men of faith, men of character, men of conviction. As a result of that, America became the greatest nation on the planet. Early on, our moral thermometer soared high. Our culture was saturated with God. The success of our nation was directly linked to the place that God had in our society. William Penn said, Those people who will not be governed by God will be ruled by tyrants. Noah Webster, he was an educator, the author of the first American Dictionary. He plainly saw the danger of this unrestricted wantonness, and he made the statement, he said, The principles of all genuine liberty and of wise laws are administrations, and administrations is to be drawn from the Bible and sustained by its authority. The man, therefore, who weakens or destroys the divine authority of that book may be assessor to all the public disorders which society is doomed to suffer. God and the Bible were unquestionably the foundational pillars which our nation was built upon. Biblical morality, biblical character were recognized as being indispensable by these founding fathers if our nation was to prosper. President James Garfield He reminded Americans over a hundred years ago, now more than ever before, the people are responsible for the character of their Congress. If the body be ignorant, reckless, and corrupt, it is because the people tolerate ignorance, recklessness, and corruption. If it be intelligent, brave, and pure, it is because the people demand these high qualities to represent them in the national legislature. He would go on to say, if the next centennial does not find us a great nation, it will be because those who represent the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of the nation do not aid in controlling the political forces. That's our heritage. And listen, you can listen to whomever you choose. You can be educated to be told that God's not really an integral part of the founding of America and that America is not what it is because of God, the Word of God, and the men of God that took their place even at the signing of the Declaration. But I'm going to tell you something. Without that book and without that God, there is no America. 
We note our nation's heritage. What about our nation's health? Our nation's health. You know, if we would put out a report card uh, grading the spiritual condition of America, the strength of our national spirituality, we'd probably find our marks typically or tragically low and sinking. I don't know about you, but if it was on a scale from F to A, and we said, okay, what is the spiritual condition of our culture, our country today? It'd probably be pretty low, wouldn't it? I think we'd find that we're spiritually sick. You figure we have abortion, divorce, suicide, crime, violence, immorality, the anti-God agenda that seems to be pushed down our throats. They're all glaring reminders that we've come so far from where the founding fathers intended us to be. Never intended that. These are things that are, have, have so integrated into our culture, they become normal to us. And yet we are a corrupted culture, sinful culture. There's humanism, the philosophy of man that rejects the importance of belief in God, but emphasizes human reason, scientific inquiry, and human fulfillment. That has taken the place today. Of, of, of the word of God. There's modernism, which is viewing theological concepts through the eyes of modern thinking. We come up with our own ideologies and, and our own philosophies and we, we, we make up our own mind on what things should be and how they should be. We've discarded the word of God and as a result, we have modern thinking today and that modern thinking affects how we live. And boy, it's causing us some real problems. There's liberalism. A conscious departure from those old paths. A conscious departure from the things that made us great. A conscious departure from the Word of God as it was outlined and described for us early on in the history of America. Where there were standards and where there, was, there were lines drawn in the sand. And where there were right and wrong. And where there was black and white. Where you didn't cross that line or you had consciously disobeyed the Creator God. Our society is quickly becoming not only atheistic, but it is becoming extremely antagonistic toward God. And as a whole, Americans are no longer God conscious, but instead, they're forgetful and neglectful of God. And listen, we can point fingers at our culture, but let me tell you something, we would do well to start in our churches. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken of the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? How shall we escape? Allow me to say that however dismal our spiritual report card may seem, there's still great hope for America. I'm, I'm pretty excited about the prospect of America. So let's talk about our nation's hope then. I mean, we've already discussed our nation's heritage, our nation's health. And I don't think we need to poll the crowd to ask where you think our nation's health lies. On a scale of F to A, or on a scale of 1 to 100. I think we all would be in agreement that we've definitely departed from where we've been in the past. And we've gone on a downhill slide. So what about our nation's hope? I'm still convinced that there's hope. I can't help but remember the sad state of Judah's spiritual report card. Especially following the sinful and wicked reigns of Manasseh and Ammon. If we took the time, and I'm going to quote a couple of verses, portions of verses from the book of Kings, 2 Kings 21. But if you would turn to 2 Kings 21 when you get an opportunity sometime and read the condition and the state of Judah at this point in history, you would say, along with myself and anyone else that read it, they're in real trouble and there looks like there's no hope. I mean, if you look at 2 Kings, you're going to find that this Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, remember godly king, mind you, that had 15 years extended to his reign because of his relationship with the God of heaven. His son, though, however, Manasseh, he reigns for 55 years in Jerusalem. He did that which the Bible says was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen. 
Basically, what it's saying is that, that he walked onto the scene, became the, the king of Judah, and he allowed the sins of his nation to grow equal to or worse than those nations that God had driven out of the promised land when they moved in. He built up again the high places. You know, those high places are places where idols were worshipped. He encouraged this idol worship. He built altars, the Bible says, in the house of the Lord. Can you imagine that? Building altars to false gods in the house of the Lord. The very place that Solomon, the temple that Solomon built, if you will. Imagine taking an idol and placing it here, an altar to an idol in this building. He goes on to say that he made his son pass through the fire. What it's saying is that he literally offered his own flesh and blood to a deity that was no God at all. Burned him, killed him, allowed his son to die in worship of an idol. Can you imagine that? This is how corrupt, how wicked, and how sinful this leader was. And he led his nation into this sin. As a matter of fact, it goes on to say he observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. Listen, I don't know where you stand on all these different shows today that lift up and elevate witchcraft. But I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't see them as very fun. They're not entertaining to God. Now, again, I, I'm not, I understand you may be watching a show and something comes up, but remember, that's not by chance, nor is it by coincidence. The devil's always been in that business. <laughs> I'm just going to tell the story. Sherry's looking at me. She knows it's coming. Brother Kavanaugh's kids were over at my house this week. And so my wife took the kids to the... To the um, um, Library and said, you know what, we can, you know, pick up a couple, I don't know what, couple books and we'll get a couple little shows. And so they got this like 1960-something movie. Remember that lady that, um, that played in Murder, She Wrote? Angela Berry or something? Angela Lansbury. Lansbury, yeah. I knew it was something Berry. <laughs> anyway, she's playing the main character in this little show. And I came home, I think it was from work or something at night and I, I, I came on in and, and, and Sherry was trying to get the kids ready. We were going, I think it was going to, we were going to visitation or something. She's trying to get one of the kids ready and a couple of the kids are, she said, you can watch that little show for a little while. Man, I got in there and you want to know something? Oh, this, this, this angel, whatever. She's in there talking about the fact that she's got to go back to London because she has to talk to the instructor of witchcraft. I'm talking 1960-something show, a little kid's movie, little children. And, and the whole premise was apparently that she had powers, and she had to learn how to use these powers, and she was a witchcraft. She was learning witchcraft. And it was a cute little show. And so we both, all of us, sat down and watched it. No, we didn't. You guys are terrible. The little kids, were, they were devastated when I said, we got to turn that off. I said, Sherry, this lady's talking about witchcraft in here. She's like, what? Here she's jumping on a bed and they're turning the bed and they're saying these little seance things or something and they're flying off into going up somewhere. I mean, it was a show. It was witchcraft was the root of the show. Now, it was cute and it, the kids were all fun and she was real nice and she was very young in that show. But none of the fact is, is this. It's witchcraft. You don't think that Satan has had a, a, a plan for some time now? He just keeps placing it in there. He just kind of saturating our hearts and minds with this stuff. I'm going to tell you something. This king here had implemented it in his kingdom. He had made it a staple in his kingdom. The Bible goes on to say that he seduced Israel to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. That's how horrible their report card was, their spiritual report card. That's how difficult of a situation it seemed they faced. That's how improbable it was that they could rebound and repent. 
But then God raised up an eight-year-old king by the name of Josiah who would go on to lead his people in revival. I'm going to tell you something. America may seem like it's down and out, but there, that's not the case at all, my friend. It may be down, and, 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 but we're not out today. As long as there's a God in heaven, as long as there's a book called the Bible settled in heaven, as long as there's still a still small voice echoing within the hearts of believers everywhere, as long as there's a voice crying in the wilderness, there's great hope for America today. See, the people of God. Turn to 2 Chronicles 7.14, would you? The people of God. You say, where's that hope come from? First, the people of God. There's still hope for America today. And as dark as it may seem and as difficult the situation it may be, the fact is, is that God could turn it around like that. 2 Chronicles 7.14, but he'll use his people to do so. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I know that's Old Testament. And someone says, well, if you rightly divide, that's dealing with Israel. That has nothing to do with the church. But I'm going to tell you something. A principle like this is true. If we're still God's people, if we'll humble our heart, if we'll turn back to God, if we'll repent of our sin, I'm still confident that God will do something great. Listen, I believe in all that stuff. I know there are divisions in the Bible. And I recognize the fact we've got to divide it properly. But I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to God's people, it, lays on our, it rests on our backs today. If we expect the world to change, we're wrong. It better start with the people of God and in the house of God, my friend. That's where it begins. What America needs is not money today. They need the master. What they need is not more government. They need more God. It's not going to be a more social program or better social programming, but the Savior. It's not greater opportunity that they need, but the omnipotent one that reigns on high. They need Jesus Christ, and they need the God of heaven today. And I'm going to tell you something. The people of God have got to do something about it. We sit here today, and we, we have a tremendous responsibility as believers and if we are selfish and we are self-centered and we choose to just simply go about our way and do our own thing and have no regard for anybody in our nation or any people on our street or the people that are across the, across the way and just even in our own backyards, let me tell you something. Yeah, America's going to hell in a handbasket and will continue to do so. But God's people have an opportunity to do something great with the power of God if we'll let him. It starts, it starts with us. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and turn from their wicked ways. It's hard to clean up a country when the church is so corrupt. And it's got to start with God's people because we are the church. It's not a building. It's a body. The people of God. But not only that, if we're going to have great hope in America. It won't just come from the people of God. It's going to be from the pulpits. Amen. Turn if you would to Isaiah 58.1. And then when you get there, turn to 2 Timothy 4. Put your finger like kind of one there in Isaiah 58.1. We'll look at that for just a second. And then we're going to turn over to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Notice Isaiah 58.1, and again, you're turning, I know, so go ahead, I'll give you another second here or two, just a couple of seconds to get there. Notice what it says in Isaiah 58.1. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and shew my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Now, we've got some, we've got some uh, brass instruments over here. We've got, it looks like a trumpet over here. Let me tell you something. If I wanted to dazzle you, I'd grab that right now and I'd rip one. I played a baritone. Now, they tell me that that's a lot harder, but is it a lot harder? Yeah, because it's smaller. Yeah. Let me tell you something, though. Hey, you, you play the trumpet, right? Come on up here, grab your trumpet and just rip one. I don't want to show him up, you know. 
I want you to hear a trumpet for a second, would you? You know, one of the biggest difficulties that we have when we decide to kind of start this orchestra was how are we, how are we going to quiet down these brass instruments? I mean, they are just so loud and they can become obnoxiously loud. If not, oh, he's leaving. <laughs> I thought his was on the chair there. I didn't know he'd put it away already. Wow. I hope that that's where his trumpet is. <laughs> I'm out of here. Oh, here he is. Okay, good. All right. Okay, brother. Hit us with it. Let's hear that thing. Hear that? Just rip a loud note. Now, I'm going to ask you something. I got a sound system on, speaker on. I'm talking here, but I'm going to tell you something. If I try to compete with that, you're going to hear that because it's piercing. It's going to cut through. I don't know about, it just cuts through the sound. It's, it's like some of your voices. No, I'm teasing. But anyway, it, it just, it cuts through. Have you ever noticed certain people's voices just boom? You know, no matter where they're at, you hear them. That's how that trumpet is. Did you hear that? What's he say in the passage? What's he say? Look what he says. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up thy voice like a what? Trumpet. And shew my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. Sorry I made you go get your horn just for that, but... Do you want to do a solo now or what? (laughs) He's literally like, okay, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. Give him a hand. Great job. (laughs) I'm glad he didn't hand that to me because he's going to say, now prove that you can do that. But anyway, because I would have not made any sound, but... (laughs) How many of you ever tried to, 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 to play a trumpet? Even tried it? Is that crazy or what, right? It's crazy. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. I'm going to tell you something. We can have passion about our favorite ball team. We can scream and shout them to victory. We can have passion concerning a particular political view to the point of violence today, it seems. And yet it's considered commendable and courageous. We can have passion about a number of things in our world and in our culture. It's not only acceptable in many cases, it is admirable. But let a preacher, let a preacher stand in a pulpit and passionately plead for souls or preach against sin. And people say, brother, you need to tone it down. That's scaring us. You need to calm down. I mean, you just need to teach us. Don't do that preaching stuff. That's scary. I'll tell you what, there's something wrong today. Something wrong in America when preachers aren't preaching the Bible. Getting passionate about it. We've got to get passionate about the things God says we ought to be passionate about. And if we're going to see America transformed and changed, it won't be the simple teaching of the Bible. It's going to be the preaching of the Word of God. It's not that we don't need teaching. It's just that we better have preaching too. And I'm going to tell you what, the pulpits of America are going to have to get back on fire if we're going to see America turn around for God. And in 2 Timothy, you're already there. It says, preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Why? Because the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Hey, you preach the word, Timothy. I don't care. There's going to be some that won't want to hear it. There's going to be some that will stand in opposition to you. There'll be some that say, shut up and sit down. We don't want to hear that anymore. You keep preaching, Timothy. And that's what our country needs today. I know, I know people aren't wired that way. I know, I know we're trying to take everybody and make them, you know, uh, make every football player a soccer player. And we're trying to make every soccer player a cheerleader and every cheerleader a whatever. It just, we keep demasculating men. We don't want anybody to have, be competitive today. Something wrong. Do you know that there are more severe head injuries? There's more concussions as a cheerleader than there is in football? Just thought I'd throw that out there for you. 
Isn't that amazing? We've got our little girls flying through the air, doing all kind of crazy stuff. And we're trying to tell our boys, you can't get out there and rough it up. It's too dangerous. Let me tell you something. Don't think for a minute the devil's not in all this mess trying to demasculinize men. It took real men to stand up and fight for a nation that ultimately became the greatest nation on earth. You go ahead and read books about General Washington. You go ahead and listen about some of the things he did. You tell me he wasn't all man. Talk about men that had no boots and still fought battles. Men whose feet were bleeding on the, 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 the solid ice as they crossed over country, uh, miles and miles of wilderness. Took great sacrifice. And I'm going to tell you what, preachers of America better be willing to preach the word of God Amen. at any cost. Finally, the propagation of the gospel. If we're going to see America turn around, and there is great hope for America, it's going to come. It's going to come from these pulpits. It's going to come from the people of God. And it's going to come from the propagation of the gospel. We're going to have to get the truth out. Not just preachers, but everyone. Luke chapter 5, verse 31. Look what it says. Luke 5, 31. I came this close to preach, creating a message around an illustration. And the Lord said, you can't do that. And I thought, but the illustration is so good. I was like, this thing is so awesome. I know I can come up with some points, Lord. He said, yeah, but it'd be nice if the Bible was in there. It was about George Washington. I mean, it was good, man. Maybe I'll share the story just for the sake of it sometime. It was awesome. But you're not supposed to do that, you know. Luke chapter 5, verse 31 and 32 says, And Jesus answering said unto them that they are whole, that they Excuse me, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. But we need to proclaim the gospel today. There has probably never been a time in American history that more people have been spiritually sick. And, and listen, I talked about that time before the Great Awakening, but there were not, there was a, I mean, the number of people in, in, the, in, in this area, if you will, or in the, the the so-called United States at that time, and it wasn't the United States at that time yet, but they were a drop in the bucket compared to today. There are millions and millions of people that need Christ today. We're in a mess. And you know what? We need to change this world one soul at a time. And I know know we'd like to think that if we just got on television, we could transform the nation. If we just got, get the internet working properly, people will get saved so much through the internet. If we could just, I'm going to tell you what, when it's all said and done, it's going to work just like it's always worked. It's going to be me and you. And then you and someone else and me and someone else. And then them and someone else and them someone else. And it's going to just explode that way. That's how it's really going to happen, one soul at a time. I love to see hundreds get saved in one city. I love when thousands trust Christ. But I'm going to tell you what, a nation will not be changed and transformed until we do it one soul at a time. We've got to get out there and get it done. But where's hope for our nation? And here it is. This is the hope. It's in this room. Habakkuk 3.2 says this, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. We can't go back to those days, back with the founding fathers where there was a real foundation of faith. We can't do that. But we can revive the work. We can walk in the paths of yesterday. And I'm not talking about trying to go back to the 1950s. I'm talking about getting back to God and his word. You know what? This, that's in vogue in any generation right here. This is in style in any generation because God is the one that brings blessing. I mean, we've already read it. It's in our introduction. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. God help us. The hope of our nation is still found in the one who founded it, and that's God. And I, want to, I wonder today, like our nation has slipped away, have you slipped away from him? 
Have you found yourself not as passionate about him and his word today? May I tell you that even as God is the only hope of our nation, he is your only hope too. He's your hope of salvation. He's your hope of a better marriage. He's your hope of a more fruitful life. He's your hope of joy, peace, and purpose. He's my hope too. It's our decision today, your decision. As a nation today, this 4th of July, I'm still pleased as punch, happy as a lark to live in the United States of America. Listen, you can go live anywhere around the world, but people are still killing themselves to get into the United States. If you could open up the United States to the whole world, guess where they'd come? We'd have seven and a half billion sitting here. Because this is still a place where you can, the land of opportunity, whether people want to admit or not, it's still a land of opportunity. It's still a place where God's blessing is still being seen. Even though we've departed, we still see remnant of God all over the place. It's a place where you can still preach, teach, Believe what you want without fear of being thrown in jail right now. I'm telling you, it's a great nation we live in, but it won't be great if we as believers don't do what is necessary. There's hope for America, but that hope lies in the pulpits of America, the people of God, and in the propagation of the gospel. Do you know Christ is your Savior today? Do you have hope of eternal life? Do you know him personally, intimately? It's been a time, a place when you finally said, I am a sinner and without Jesus Christ, I have no hope. I'll never make heaven. I can't earn God's favor. I can't do enough to earn his favor. I got to just simply trust the Lord Jesus and what he did for me on Calvary. His precious blood. Oh, how I need it. Without it, I am doomed. Have you come to that realization in your life? Have you trusted the Savior to be yours? If you haven't, why don't you settle that today? And if you're a child of God and you've slipped, realize don't expect our nation to turn back to God if his own people won't. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the simplicity.